You are listening to the Believe in Yourself podcast. A podcast that inspires people to believe in themselves to unlock their own potential. My name is Luke Reese, and I'm a multi-award winning motivational speaker and UK young leader. And I'm sitting down with leaders to discover their journeys and the lessons they have learned to make the unachievable achievable. Welcome to the Believe in Yourself podcast. Welcome back to the Believe in Yourself podcast. Today's guest as a teenager didn't think she'd make it past her 18th birthday. However, using the power of sport and helping others, she found volunteering helped get her life back on track. In 2018, she was awarded the BBC Sports Personality of the Year Get Inspired Unsung Hero Award and is now a motivational speaker sharing her story to inspire the next generation. Please welcome to the Believe in Yourself podcast, Kirsty Ewan. Hi. Hi, Kirsty. So how are you keeping during these times? Not bad. I think probably up and down like everyone, good days and bad days, but just trying to take each day as it comes and try and find kind of the good parts of the day and try and focus on that to get through. So, yeah. Hmm. I, th- I think that's like a really important thing that I think a lot of people have kind of sugarcoated during these, during COVID-19 is the fact that, you know, everyone thinks you should be on top of the world, you should be happy 24-7. And the fact is just that isn't reality. No, definitely not. I think for me, like, my life normally runs at 300 miles an hour traveling all over the country to do kind of different things and beaches and training and things like that and I normally pack my diary full so I don't really have too much time to kind of stop and think and be in my own head Um, and then to kind of come into lockdown I live on my own in a flat so it's a completely different lifestyle so it's definitely been challenging at times Um, but yeah really lucky to have kind of really good friends and support networks around that I can kind of keep in contact with anyway um, and just find different ways to connect with people and engage which has been really exciting as well. Mm, I think that's a that's the point of this lockdown period is the fact that we you know all of our habits and our routines and our normal usual things we go to for escapisms were you know most have mostly been destroyed like myself and it's a case of that we've had to find kind of a new normal also we've had to replace things and I think you know if one good thing will come out of this period of, of isolation for the last 12 weeks is the fact that hopefully we'll we'll move forward with some some new ideas and some new perspectives on, on perhaps how we can manage things and um and appreciate that every day is different but hopefully we have survived our our darkest days now and hopefully the rest of it should be all uphill hopefully definitely and I think there's definitely like you say positives that we can take kind of moving post lockdown into whatever the new normal does look like because I think there's been some really positive pieces of work that have been done and um you know working in different ways and for me I think I could probably get some work as a quiz master or a bingo caller (laughs) or an online escape room host because that's what I'm doing every week with um, kind of my swimmers and my squads which is really exciting good fun but yeah I think maybe new new career paths ahead <laughs> definitely something to look after um, after lockdown escape rooms i haven't heard that one I've, I've, i'll be honest we, we do our quiz every saturday with me and my mates we haven't gone to bingo but escape rooms is what i've never heard of doing online it's really good actually we did it with our junior squads first and i'm doing it with the seniors tomorrow night actually but it's just i paid for a package online and they all log in on their own devices um, and then we come on to Zoom and I show them like the introduction and then put them into breakout rooms. So they're working with other kind of squad members and families and they compete against each other to try and solve the escape room fastest. So they're all playing along in their own houses and then they share kind of what's working and what's not. So it's been the thing that's had the best feedback so far, actually. So definitely. Oh, that's awesome. Escape room. 
<laughs> yeah, def- definitely something I'm going to start to look at introducing maybe after, after Saturday's quiz. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? You either kind of, you know, you either stop surviving and you need to start thriving. And it's one of the things that we can always look at the bad things going on in our lives. It's just think, looking at the opportunities and, and ways we can, can connect after, like you said, you're doing certain things to engage your squad. But obviously we heard a little bit about then your, your involvement with swimming. But before we find out more about that and your personal story, I want to start off, you know, back to the very beginning of your journey, um, back to yourself as a young person in school and just kind of find out a little bit more about kind of your, your, your childhood as a young person. Yeah, so I was a competitive swimmer. Um, I apparently used to hate swimming when my mum and dad sent me to lessons and I used to make myself sick to try and not go to them. Um, so I think I probably always had quite a lot of anxiety and a bit of a worrier. Um, but as soon as I could swim, I kind of fell in love with it. I started off doing synchronised swimming, which is a bit odd because I'm really not the most graceful of people. Uh, but it was good fun, but then decided that I wanted to give kind of competitive swimming a go. So... I kind of got fully into that and probably by the time I was kind of 13, 14, I would train nine or 10 times a week, kind of before school and after school and all the unsociable hours that swimming as a sport provides for you. Mm. Um, But I totally loved it. And I loved kind of the challenge of improving and kind of working hard and then seeing those improvements. And then when things weren't going so good, I liked to try and kind of troubleshoot it and work on what I needed to, to move forward. Um, but then when I was kind of around the age of about 14, I really started to struggle more with my mental health. And it'd probably been a couple of years prior to that that it had started. That's when it really kind of manifested in terms of the sport. And it became something that I would punish myself with. So if I had a bad swim at a competition, I would just equate that to being a rubbish person and not being good enough. And if I swam well, I couldn't ever really appreciate the good in it. I would always kind of critique anything I could find within that. Um, and it really became kind of something that I would just use to punish myself with um, at any turn and any opportunity, really. Um, so I started self-harming. And obviously, as a swimmer, um, there's not many places on your body that are kind of covered up. So that obviously became a challenge. And as I did that more... I really struggled to kind of hide that and obviously the impact that that would have on performances as well and kind of draining my body of things that it needed to. So around about the age of kind of 15, 14, 15, I decided to quit. Um, I'd only ever wanted to be a swimmer. Like as soon as I joined Kepesman and realised that I could do it and it wasn't, I wasn't too bad at it, my goal was only ever to to swim in the Olympics. I didn't have a career path that I wanted to follow. I didn't have kind of a job that I thought, oh, that's my dream job. So that obviously had a massive impact on my mental health kind of following that um, because I really just didn't know who I was without swimming and obviously spending so much time both training and competing and traveling to do all of that. I just had all this free time on my hands that I didn't know what to do with. Um, and about the same time, my active schools coordinator in the school who organised like after school activities um, approached a group of us and showed us a video about sports leadership. And all I could think of when I watched the video was I've only ever been able to swim like I was useless at every other sport I tried. Um, it just was not was not a good match. Not one of these naturally sporty people. And I just thought, why is she asked me to do this like I'm rubbish at sports like this isn't for me um but she took all kind of a good few weeks and months to kind of build a relationship with me um and I also had known her prior to that 
through the swimming club. Um, but she really worked on building that relationship and encouraged me to give it a shot. And I did. And then really had no idea what I was getting into or why I was even saying yes. Um, but it completely changed my life. Hmm. And how did you find school going through those those times where you were struggling? Obviously, you know, it had an impact on your swimming. How did it affect, how, did it have an impact on your school life? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, I had good friends, but obviously when you're not feeling great and you don't really want people to know, I was certainly very private. I didn't want to talk about anything that was going on in my head. I didn't want to talk about how I was feeling or the self-harming. So that kind of begins to create a bit of a barrier between you and other people. So I did keep those friends, but it definitely became something that was less, I guess, at the forefront. Whereas mm. before that, I would have been kind of very outgoing, very social. Um, so yeah, that had an impact. And then school, I mean, I kind of guess I did what I needed to to get by, but it wasn't something that I was really overly interested in um I didn't really enjoy studying I guess most teenagers don't <laughs> um, but I think obviously feeling so negatively about myself as I did I really didn't have any kind of self-worth or self-esteem left by this point I just felt like even if I tried hard I wouldn't succeed anyway so if I just put in the bare minimum work then it didn't matter if I did rubbish because well I hadn't tried <laughs> yeah it definitely impacted um, kind of on my schooling and things as well. Mm, yeah, and I, I was kind of always the same with that. I thought, well, at the end of the day, if I, if I don't try, then if I don't try very hard, I can at least use that as an excuse. Oh, well, I didn't try anyway, so I wasn't expecting good results because I kind of had that, like I said, that low self-expectation of yourself. And, and like myself, I always kind of grew up as a young person with the highest of expectations. And I think of myself as a bit of a perfectionist. I've, I'm the kind of person that I can't do something half-assed. If I do something, it has to be the very best. Otherwise, I don't see any point in doing it. And I've always been the same. I thought, well, if I know I'm striving for perfection, you know, it's stopping me from getting progress because I was striving to aim so high. So I thought, well, rather than trying to be perfection, I'll just stop and I won't try. So then I can at least use that as an excuse. Um, yeah. So I can, I can relate so much so much to that aspect of your story. Definitely. I'm exactly the same. And I think that's probably ultimately why I ended up giving up swimming because I've actually realised I was never going to reach that perfection that I had in my head. So actually, mm. why was I spending so much of my life doing it? Um, and I guess, yeah, same at school. Like you say, like it's all these kind of aims that you have for yourself that actually you would never put on anybody else at all like it's much higher for you and I think probably as an adult that's something I still struggle with like is actually trying to manage that perfection and trying to manage how I see myself as opposed to how I would see someone else talking to me um, mm. and really kind of try and balance out that kind of level of actually what's achievable and what is that perfection that's not um, and you talking about progress there I, a couple of years ago I got a tattoo on my wrist that says progress not perfection just to try and remind me that actually doing something is better than doing nothing and it doesn't have to be perfect but as long as you're making progress in that area then it's a positive thing that's it and like one of the things I have to say is you know as long as you try your best every day that's all that matters you know some days you're gonna be able to do more than other days some days you're gonna be able to do you may be able to achieve one small thing especially during lockdown I've realized that yes. <laughs> I wasn't going to achieve everything all at once so if, I, so if I could just get that one small thing done today at least I'm that one step forward than I was before I woke up 
and and yeah. some days you are going to have good productive days where you are going to be able to just be able to smash through the work and create things that probably would have taken you a couple of days and it's taken you one day so like i said as long as you're as long as you're striving for progression and getting that a one percent closer to where you want to be every day then that's all anyone can ask and all anyone can do is you know the best of your ability not someone else's definitely and i think actually lockdown has probably taught me that a lot more and actually made me have to live that rather than I know that that's what I should do and how I should feel but actually realistically being able to accept that that is how you feel are two very different things but I think lockdowns taught me that a lot like some days I'm totally smashing it like I'll join in with squad workouts for the swimmers I'll take daily my dog for like a really long walk and I'll get loads of stuff done and then other days I'm like can't step out the door to take him out and it's like a big effort just to get him out for a walk so mm. and I think accepting that has been really key in getting through lockdown and I think that's yeah. definitely something that I want to take forward because I do put a lot of pressure on myself kind of in the pre-covid world if that's what we yeah. want to call it um, to actually achieve so much and actually a lot of the time that's maybe not accurate and it's not actually mm. fair to do so yeah I think that's probably one of the biggest things I want to take forward from lockdown is just being a bit more realistic and celebrating the small achievements of course and it's so important it's something that we all forget to do you know I think so many of us get caught up in the bigger picture of having big dreams and trying to achieve everything all at once that we get we get really caught we sometimes forget about the small things the small victories that we can get and for some people those small victories may be waking up before the alarm goes off and it yeah. can be as small it can be as small as that, but yet we over and depending on kind of expectations, we all, we often over try and aim to a little bit too high sometimes with that, and we we forget about the little things we've done really well as well. Um, but coming back to yourself as a as a young person, obviously once you finished swimming, did you have any kind of like escapisms that you used to use as a young person when you had your you know, you know your darkest days in mental health? Obviously, like for myself, my sport was always an escapism for me. So sport wasn't something that I never applied too much pressure on myself. It was just all about enjoying it. And so for me, whenever I stepped on a sports field, it was as if I was a completely different person because it was as if the outside world didn't matter. Did you have anything like that? Um, I think that's what sports leadership and volunteering became for me. Certainly when I started obviously you're in a games hall and things so you're like well we're not going to be doing anything with water so yeah. not sure about this <laughs> not sure how this works um, and when I started that kind of journey of sports leadership like I didn't even want to talk in front of the other seven girls that were involved in the group um, but really kind of once we got into it and I got the opportunity to go and lead and volunteer at lots of different clubs for the younger kids it just became my absolute focus I think like mm -hmm. every single Day, I would try and get involved in something if I could and did sports that I would never have thought I would ever go and coach because I was I always thought like well if I can't do the sport can I really like lead and help people like learn but actually that's what sports leadership teaches you is that it doesn't matter how you perform at a sport like it's about all those other qualities and how you can relate to the kids and organization and communication and everything else so yeah I think that definitely became my escape um, and it probably has continued actually I think volunteering is still my escape I still probably spend more of my life volunteering than I do um, paid work so yeah I think um, there's definitely been my kind of coping mechanism from that but in terms of swimming it took me a really long time to be able to go back near the sport I probably 
only in the last four or five years actually accepted the decision that I made to quit. So when I actually decided to quit, the main reason I did that was because I wanted to hurt myself more. Mm-hmm. So obviously for a long time, that's been really difficult in terms of what could have been, like what could I have achieved, what could I have done? Um, and now as an adult looking back, I'm like, that was such a stupid like why would you quit because you want to do that but obviously when you're in that moment like that self-harm had become the most important thing to me um and I think probably without having the kind of volunteering opportunities I got and being able to engage in all of that I don't think I would be alive today I genuinely will stand by the fact that it saved my life um, just having that positive focus and you know the buzz you get when I guess anyone who's worked with younger children and the buzz you get from them when they come in and you're working with them um, and just that challenge I guess as well but it was a challenge that there was no pressure on and even me trying my hardest like I can make that a pressurized situation because the focus was just about having fun and keeping the kids having fun as well so yeah, volunteering and sports leadership were definitely my escape. And I think that's like very similar to myself. It's a case of that, you know, sport was always something that I loved, but I found with volunteering, it was much more, with sport, I found it was more about me and my performance and the team. And, but there was something about leadership and volunteering in particular and doing sports leaders was the fact that it wasn't about me, it was about them. And it was about doing something not just for myself but a greater benefit for someone else and there was something about facilitating a session or literally it didn't have to be this top world-class session it was a case of just maybe having a ball or maybe some no equipment some days and it was just about delivering something that puts a smile on their face and it was something empowering about thinking well if they're leaving a session with a smile on my face then so am I and that makes me feel more fulfilled than you know just leaving a rugby pitch thinking oh, I just put in a good performance we've won yeah it was just the difference of fulfillment was just indescribable. And that's why kind of I always then edge towards the volunteering path as opposed to trying to say, well, let's try and become a better player. Let's try and actually become a better volunteer because you can have much more of an impact. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that being able to help others and just whether it's they're learning a new skill or helping them have fun or just being there for them if they need some support, I think that focus of that and helping them and being there for them and being what they needed, I think was really important for me then. Um, and certainly, you know, during kind of the darkest days when I was suicidal and I did attempt suicide a couple of times, but I think I would have tried more had it not been for having those sessions to go to. Cause actually you do soon realize that the kids would miss you if you weren't there. And actually, you are having an impact, whether that's helping register them, whether it's helping lead a session, whether it's, you know, doing anything in that session, you're playing a part that's important for other people to grow and um, achieve their goals. So, so take me back, if you can, to that, that very first session of sports leaders, you know, was, was you nervous? Was you excited? Was you a little bit, didn't know what was going to happen? I think I was super nervous, definitely super nervous. Um, And, you know, we all went in and, you know, when they start talking about, so you'll be leading a session, like a part of a session, you'll be leading a warm up. And I was like, 
a deer in the headlights, I think, as like total panic mode. Like, I can't do that. Like, what are you talking about? Why am I here? What we're doing? Um, but definitely very nervous and a bit kind of apprehensive about probably not so much the course, but my ability to be able to do what was going to be asked. Um, obviously, going back to how I felt about myself as well, like that was all kind of tied in. Um, but I think it probably only took about two or three sessions before I started to realise that actually this is really fun. Like, I'm really enjoying it. And actually, I could start to see the benefits from it. And it's just so weird for me to now look back at that when I didn't even want to talk in front of these seven girls that I knew from school. And now I stand up in front of hundreds of people and talk to them. Um, it's just crazy. And it just I think it just shows the impact that sports leadership has. Um, because I, all the things I've done, I wouldn't have done any of them if it hadn't been for that first session of sports leadership. And even before that, for my mentor to actually take the time to really get me involved. So, yeah, it's a crazy journey. And I think you'll you'll probably be able to relate to that as well. <laughs> yeah, I definitely can. And, you know, one thing I like to talk a little bit about there is because in life, we all do things that are sometimes scary and that sometimes we're, you know, a bit anxious of going into. And whether that being um, a young person's first session of sports leaders or whether that being someone's first day in work or, or any aspect in life where you're going to do something for the, the first time, it can be really anxious and it can be quite scary sometimes and quite daunting if you're going into the unknown. You know, going through your experiences and, and what you've done through sports leaders and that the experience you had in your first session to where you are now, what would your one bit of advice be to someone who's going to try something for the, the first time? I think it would probably be to appreciate the moments. So appreciate all the little things that happen in between. It would be to believe in your own ability because you can achieve so much more than you even know is possible right now and just enjoy it because no matter how scary it is there is always something that you can learn and take away from it that will help you and that will help you get better at something or help you feel better about yourself or help you grow as a person. No, great advice there. I think a lot of people can can take something can take something away from that in particular. If you, when you're going into something, you're quite scared, and you you're looking at all the um, the what ifs, all the negative things that could happen to you, and rather than actually looking, well, what up, what if that I do sports leaders and all these amazing things happen to me like you had them? Because you know I'm probably I'm obviously putting words in your mouth here, but I didn't ex I don't think you probably went into sports leaders saying, oh, what if I went to sports leaders and I'd end up speaking in front of everyone, I'd end up doing this for a living and, and getting to, to see the world as you have them. Absolutely not. I think I just went in, like you say, with all the negatives, like what if people laugh at me? What if I'm no good at this? What if I can't do something? You know, all those negatives that you talk about there, I would I had no idea about all of the opportunities that would come even in that first year of being involved in the sports leadership and you know the different qualifications that you open up that you can do and the different opportunities that you have within the community and um, to then look at the wider opportunities that I've had if I had been told that when I started I think I would have just laughed and not believed it because yeah I think it totally it totally opened up my world I would never have considered like working in sport if it hadn't been for that and now I work part-time for Scottish Disability Sport, so it kind of shaped a career path, but 
bigger than that, like it shaped me as a person. It made me value things. It gave me a reason to stay alive and then just have some incredible opportunities alongside that. It was just amazing. I think every young person should get involved. No, I 100% agree. And it's the fact that even if you just, just, just give it a go, you know, no one's asking you to become a, a world-class coach or, you know, a, a motivational speaker like the both of us, but we're just asking you to become the best version of yourselves. And I think, you know, you, you can learn so many valuable, transferable life skills through the power of, of leadership, but also through something you enjoy through sport. And I think it's important to realise as well, when it comes down to sports leadership, you know, when I was a young person, a lot of um, if I look back on my, my group of sports leaders, we were all sporty people. We were all kind of the, the best athletes or the best rugby players, football players, gymnasts, netball players, and all these things. But, you know, what modern day sports leadership has become like, you, you don't have to be good at sport. You just have to, you know, sports just a vehicle for getting you in. You know, I've done some um, leadership sessions before and the best sports leaders have been the ones who are not your sporty people. They're the ones who are kind of your, your best leaders, your best communicators. And there's a role for everyone when it comes to sports leadership in regards to, to coaching, to team management, to media. There's loads of roles out there other than just being a, an athlete and participating physically. Yeah, definitely. I think my group was quite mixed. I think there were a few of us who weren't really that good at sport. I was probably the worst of that group. Everyone was kind of <laughs> quite sporty, apart from me. But um, there were a couple, there was kind of probably half a group who were like the best kind of, athletes and stuff um but yeah I totally agree I think some of the best sports leaders that I've had the pleasure to kind of come in contact with and to meet have been those people who are just really passionate about making a change or helping others or you know improving themselves it's it's really not about sport at all and I think like you say like that's even more the case nowadays and it's great that hopefully we can kind of widen that net and hopefully help other young people see that you don't have to be really good at sport to do it. And I think that's really important because if it's a massive barrier, I would say, it definitely, if it hadn't been for my mentor taking the time to kind of really encourage me to get involved, I wouldn't have done it. And then I look now at what I've got from it and I just think that would have been such such a waste. And I think there's probably other young people out there who haven't had that opportunity that if we can just get that word out and say look it doesn't have to be about the sport it's about leadership I just think we could help change so many more young people's lives. Mm. I think like moving forward as well it's you know you often see a huge emphasis on kind of performance pathways as 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 you know participants of the sport I'd love to see in the future kind of more pathways for more of coaches and, and for officials and for managers, people who want that different aspect, that different experience of sport, because it's something that's often not thought about. Um, you know, I've, I've got a, um, a family friend who um, just finished playing rugby and he's gone to referee in, and now he's, a lot of people are saying he's got the potential to become a fantastic referee, but until they do that, there's no pathways for them. And people only yeah. think, oh, if I want to be involved with sport, I've got to play. Well, no, you don't have to play at the young age if you want to. You can Because at the end of the day, someone starts at the young age as a coach and said, no, I want to become a world-class coach and starting off at that level. Then the younger they, the younger they make that decision, the more experience they're going to get, the better they're going to be when it comes to, to age 30. Because, you know, as you know, probably with many of the coaches in the sporting world, is they play sport for a certain period of time. And all of a sudden, they just expect the transition between you know, player and coach in the space of a couple of months. But if yeah. they had spent that, that I don't know, that 20-year playing career actually coaching sport, imagine how much better experience or how much of a better coach they're going to be when they when they get to that age of that other person was going to transition. 
definitely and I think that's really important I think you see a lot more now though of like young volunteer opportunities so like um panels for young people to have kind of days in decision making and I know Scottish women I'm involved with their young volunteer program and it's super exciting because it does all the things that you say it has a young event coordinators section it has a young technical officials section it has a poolside helpers section and then the kind of young ambassador program who kind of feed in nationally so I think that's really exciting and I think you're right like the more that we can broaden people's horizons on actually it's not just about participating and coaching but actually you can do all these other things as well it just opens a lot more doors for people hmm. and you, you've opened your insights there a little bit about when it comes down to young people panels because I know from, from knowing you previously before this episode you know just how involved you are with kind of young people's panels and, and steering groups and all that kind of stuff so um, can you first start off by telling us a little bit about kind of the panels that or the roles you, you currently have sitting on boards and, and groups at the moment of time? Yeah so at the moment I'm part of Spirit of 2012 Youth Advisory Panel so for me that was really exciting because my previous experience with um, panels was all around sport and um, but Spirit of 2012 are obviously the legacy charity from the London Olympics and they focus on culture, arts, volunteering and sport so for me that's been really exciting to kind of get a broader kind of outlook on what happens across the country um, and as a youth panel we were given a kind of large sum of money to create our own grant so we kind of looked at what areas we wanted to focus on what we wanted people and projects to actually be doing and what impact we wanted them to be having and then we kind of created that application fund um, and we're about to decide on our final kind of um, grantees that we're going to award money to um, at a meeting this weekend which is really exciting um, and then I run the young ambassadors program for Scottish women try and kind of keep the young people engaged and keep them on the right path of what they're wanting to achieve and make sure that their voices are the ones that are being heard. And previous to that, um, in 2016 to 2018, I was part of Sport Scotland Young People's Sport Panel. And I would say probably aside from being involved in sports leadership at the beginning, that's probably the other thing that's really had the most impact on my life and have changed um, and shifted where my kind of outlook was so that was really good but yeah I think there's lots of panels and groups and programs and things that people are running now and I think that's great but what I think is really important is that those groups aren't just token groups and that they're not just there for to, for organizations to say we consult with young people young people have a voice in what we're doing um, it actually has to mean something and it has to be put in practice otherwise I don't think there's any point in having those youth panels so I think it's quite a fine balance um, in some organizations but I think it's really important that it's meaningful input that those programs and panels have um, and it's not just kind of a tick box exercise because then the young people don't actually get anything out of it and I think the young people involved need to get as much as the organization involved gets from that partnership of them and them being there and being involved with the work that they're doing so if a if a, a business or a charity or an organization is listening to this podcast and and they want to involve more youth boards and youth setups within inside their organizations from your experience of, of being a part of lots of, of steering groups young, young youth panels um and all that kind of things 
what would your advice be to those businesses and organizations who are looking to engage with youth or to have a youth panel involved in their organizations you know knowing what you know now you know what's your what's your top bit of advice on how to engage or how to do it so it's not that in a tokenistic way um, I don't know if it quite answers your question, but I think for anyone looking to engage with young people <clears throat> or a youth panel, I think the biggest piece of advice I could give is that you need to have time set aside to do that. It isn't something that just kind of runs itself. It's a lot of kind of prep work and kind of ongoing work um, to make sure that the young people are still engaged and that they're okay with what they're doing and that you're actually creating a space for them to feed their ideas into you. It's mm. not just the organization giving them pieces of work to do. I think the work has to be created by the young people and kind of co-designed and run by the youth that they're working with, which takes a lot of time. And I think some organizations, that's maybe where they fall down, is they think that once they've done the recruitment and they've got them on board, that actually they can just kind of have the odd meeting and be left in between but actually in my experience it's actually about that constant engagement and constant support and um, for the young people to really make sure that they get the best out of their experience yeah no i i couldn't have put it better myself because you know i think one of the best bit of advice i give is the kind of fact that you know, don't talk at young people talk with them and and that's something that I've, I've gained from my personal experiences where you know they've got young people on the table right this is a a youth student group or a youth board or whatever they want to call it um and they'll just bring in people throughout the day to talk at you and they said right we're going to talk at you for half an hour then you're going to tell us you either love it hopefully you love it and, and most people at the young age feel quite insulted they say no i don't like it it's a bit of a guided answer for that yeah that's it and then literally the last five minutes of it is probably right would you do anything differently and you only get five minutes so right as many ideas and you normally get that one scribe in the corner who is trying to write down every single idea as possible um <laughs> and then you finally go back to the drawing board and maybe the next meeting a couple of months time they'll come back and say right we had all these great ideas what happened with them oh well um we we, we wrote them down and then well, we wrote them down and then nothing, nothing happened. Um, and that sometimes, you know, so it's about, yeah. So I always think about talk at young, talk, sorry, talk with young people. Don't just talk at them, allow them the opportunity to be creative because young people can come up with some great ideas. It's just yeah, having that's, the, the that's why you've got them involved because you know that they have good ideas and they maybe think in a different way than the rest of the organization does. But yeah, mm. I think sometimes, it does get a bit lost, like you say. And I don't think I don't think that's in like a malicious way or even an intended way. I think sometimes organizations just fall into that because it's what they've always done. So yeah, I think just being a bit more aware, aware of that. No, no, I completely agree. But then so we talked about how you, you first got into to volunteering and how you first got into sports leadership and kind of some of the, the panels and the, the journey you've been on now. Um, I love the talk. Obviously, we've got to talk about your award. You know, you're always the, the, the big thing that, you know, a lot of people ask to hear about. Um, so how, how does the story of winning the award, where does it start? I still get so embarrassed talking about the award, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, so um, back in 2018, I um, about October time, I got a call from somebody at BBC Scotland to tell me that I'd won the Scotland Region Unsung Hero Award. And uh, we laugh about it now because she said that like in the call, like I just kept saying, are you sure? Like, do you have the right person? Like, <laughs> And uh, I honestly thought it was one of my friends playing a joke on me. Like I was just, 
totally like blindsided by it. I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was true, which was far. <laughs> and then um, they came up and we filmed a video um, that would go to the broad panel of judges that would judge the UK winner um, that gets presented at Sports Personality of the Year. So I got told, like, clear your diary for this weekend. You need to be in Birmingham. And I was like, is this even happening? You know, that way that Sports Personality of the Year is one of those shows that you've just watched, like, every year since you were a yeah. kid. And you're just like, is it actually a real thing? Like, people actually go here? Um, but, yeah, so cleared my diary, obviously. And they came up and did the filming. And probably one of my most favourite memories, actually, of the whole experience was the day they came to film because they came to one of my sessions with... Um, one of my squads and they just did loads of filming of the kids they filmed me coaching they spoke to some of the kids and then they gave the kids at the end gopro cameras and they got to underwater and they were playing like rock paper scissors underwater and they were making silly faces and the whole morning was just like full of laughter and it's such nice memories to have with like that whole squad um of kids so yeah we did all that and then it got sent to the um kind of overall panel and the whole time like people kept saying to me like oh you might win like at like the awards and I was like don't be ridiculous and then you know that way they like release all the videos like one a day leading up to the awards and I'm watching all these videos and I was just getting so excited to meet all the other unsung heroes because they were just amazing like their videos were incredible and the work they were doing was so so interesting I just couldn't wait to meet them and find out more about them so traveled down to Birmingham and we had like a drinks reception on the Saturday night and started to meet people and that was just amazing and people still kept being like to me at home like oh you might win like what are you gonna say and I'm like I'm not gonna win just enough like, <laughs> go and watch these videos and then tell me that like I might win like absolutely not so on the Sunday morning they uh, got us all together and we had like a brunch and the winner from the previous year spoke to us about like her year as Dancing Hero and what she been up to. And the BBC staff were like, guys, you need to all prepare something about 30 seconds worth to say because you won't find out who wins until it's announced live. So you need to make sure you've got something to say. So I've taken my mum to the awards. Now, me and my mum and dad have always had a bit of a fractious relationship but it's getting better now that I'm older but it's still pretty tense at times and I was obviously full of anxiety like and nerves and just like you know not knowing what to expect and stuff because we'd been told we would like walk the red carpet and things like that and it's all just very surreal for just, I was just like I just coach and I just share my story like I don't really know why I'm yeah. here like, I should I shouldn't be here like someone else definitely deserves this and stuff so it was all very weird but my mum was going on at me and on at me the whole time we were getting ready she was like Kirsty I really think you, you should think of something you're gonna say just in case she was like it doesn't matter if you don't win but just prepare and I was like mum enough like just leave me alone like stop stressing me out I don't need to prepare anything so I'm not gonna win so um we went, went to the venue and we did the red carpet bit and then we got to kind of go into the capital party and then we had to see and kind of sat down and got told that we would all go on stage together, which was really lovely. So I think before that, the winners had went up from their seats um, in the audience to collect their trophy. But um, they decided that we would all go stand on stage and the winner would be announced there. So we were all like excited, like, oh, like, I don't know whether we're excited or nervous, like to stand in front of all these people. Because obviously it's like all these sports stars that you're 
just have looked up to for so long. But um, it was good, just kind of enjoyed enjoyed the moment and being there and watching it. But it's funny because, you know, when you watch it on TV and it's all really glamorous and it looks so, so like put together. And then when you're there in person and it like cuts to like a VT, there's just people running everywhere, like moving sets and like <laughs> filling. And if an athlete moves, like somebody's sitting there. So it was just quite bizarre. And yeah, then when uh, we went on stage and Jessica Ennis Hill announced that I was the winner, I was just totally blown away. Like anyone who saw it or seen pictures since, like I just had my hands over my mouth, like couldn't believe it. Um, and then had the video played and I was like, oh my gosh, I should have thought of something to say. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Like, what am I going to say now? And I had like all these people staring at me, obviously. But I think it was probably good that way because then, I couldn't really get nervous about speaking because I just had time to like speak to Jessica and Gabby who said like you need to hold the trophy in one hand and I was like one hand my hand was like going like this <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh I'm gonna drop it um, and then I just had to think what I was gonna say and by the time I'd done that it was just kind of time to speak again and uh I think I probably, I wouldn't change what I said. You know, I knew I wanted to talk about the other people that were on stage with me because I just had, I'd just been blown away like the whole weekend getting to know them all and stuff and hearing more about all their work. It was just incredible. And then I knew I didn't want to thank people personally because there'd been so many people that were involved in my journey and who I looked up to and was inspired by and who'd helped me that I didn't want to miss anyone out. So I knew I just wanted to do a kind of brief thing, but it actually came across really natural, I think. And I think if I'd rehearsed it, it would have been a bit forced and a bit mm. robotic, which I don't <clears> think would be very nice. So yeah, but it's all very surreal. It's still really surreal. Like it's been almost two years now and I still can't believe it all happened. It's just crazy. <laughs> of course. And it must be obviously like being a, a person from Scotland, all of a sudden be surrounded by all these incredible athletes and, and people and, uh, or suddenly the spotlight's on you, for example. So, for ex- yeah. you know, you go, you go to the night looking, oh my God, wow, is that person there? Is that person there? And you recognise them for the achievements, what they do on telly. And all of a sudden, you're the one on stage and they're the ones looking and go, wow, you're Kirsty. Yeah, it was crazy. Because when we went to the after party, like um, Callum Skinner, who was a Scottish cyclist, mm. he um, had kind of come up to me and said, oh, congratulations. And I was like, okay. He's like, do you want to <laughs> So Chris Hoy had come in late because he'd been at something else. I don't think he'd, he hadn't actually seen me getting the award. But he was like, you want to meet Chris? But obviously Chris Hoy like, has like tons of people around him. And I was like, oh, it's fine. But he was like, no, 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 wait there. And he just goes in to, like all these people and pulls Chris Hoy out and brings them over to me. And he's like telling Chris about like how I won the Unsung Hero Award and telling him about what I did and stuff. And I was like, this is so bizarre. And Chris Hoy was like, oh, it's a pleasure to meet you. And I was like... <laughs> no <laughs> that's the wrong way around like that's yeah. definitely how this conversation should go uh, but yeah and then Callum was just like going right going away to get like different Scottish athletes for me to get pictures with and stuff for me but yeah very bizarre and all the athletes were like oh like well done like you do such amazing work it's totally well deserved and stuff and I was just like these are like people that I've watched on telly like these aren't people I'm yeah. supposed to meet or who are supposed to know my name or what I do it was yeah mm. very surreal but amazing amazing opportunity and amazing experience but very crazy <laughs> awesome and so talk me about the year you've had the year you had then last year since receiving the award you know, uh, what happened in, in that space of time so I'd obviously done when I was part of the sport panel and um, they really encouraged me to 
well, they gave opportunities for us to share our kind of stories and stuff. And then obviously upon kind of learning more about my journey, they had lots more opportunities that came up for me to go and share my experience and try and kind of um, make a difference for like other young people or to mm. talk to like people who are in the sports sector to try and make them think differently. So that had been really good. And as I kind of went through, it was kind of something that I was like, I really enjoy this. Like, it's really good. Um, I love the buzz I get from it, but actually like, sometimes it's really hard and I, I guess you might experience this too like when you're talking about like the hardest parts of your life that actually you used to just be so ashamed of and you used to hide and wouldn't talk about it and then you're standing in front of these rooms of like 300 people and you're like this is what happened like this is what I've done this is why it's important for me to be able to share this with you mm. um but actually it's never harder than the drive and the importance for me of being able to help someone even if it's just one person like I just think if yeah. I can help somebody every time I speak then it doesn't matter how difficult it was for me to get on that stage and do it it's worth it um, mm -hmm. and I think the award just really kind of catapulted that so people obviously had a bit of background to my story and um, they knew who I was and um, they started to kind of invite me to events like conferences and awards nights and things and it really just increased my profile I guess and mm. I just had so many opportunities over the course of the year um, to both speak at events, to speak on the radio, I got to go on BBC Breakfast a couple of times um, and it's just it was amazing and I think probably about halfway through that year I was like I want to do this more like I really just want to help people and this is how I want to do it um, and the award helped me to do that. I think without the award, I would have maybe had the kind of contacts that I already had and I maybe got a couple more events and opportunities, but not to the extent that I have done now. So mm -hmm. I think I'm super grateful for that, obviously, just to have that opportunity to reach more people. Um, and I guess getting back um, involved more with sports leadership and the training days that we kind of co-deliver on and things like it's just so important to me that what I do and have an impact for somebody else and I think even now like I still struggle a lot with my mental health at times and even during those times like that those are the things that keep me going like actually helping other people being able to have an impact being able to change the way somebody looks at something or even just encourage them to talk to somebody else um, is just so important and I think that's the biggest thing that came from the award is just having a lot more opportunities to profile that work and to get my story out there and um, hopefully inspire other people not to give up. And why is it, I know this is kind of a very common question to ask, but why is it important that people talk about their mental health? I think we are going a long way to reducing stigma I think we're making kind of a lot of progress with that but I think it's important for individuals to talk about their mental health because the hiding of it makes it worse so actually just talking to somebody that you trust and kind of sharing how you're feeling sometimes actually that can improve how you're feeling anyway but also I think it's about educating people around you how your mental health affects you so I historically have always been good at talking about the past and how I felt in the past. Um, but actually in that moment, really struggling to 
say I'm not okay. So I guess like spending time educating people of how that might manifest for you means that other people can look out for you and help you. Um, and then the more people talk, the more that we get rid of this stigma because actually everybody has mental health. It might be good at times, it might be bad at times, it could be anywhere along that spectrum, but everybody has mental health. It's not something that only a select few of the population have. Um, and I think sometimes mental health and mental illness get confused a lot. Um, so I think it's really important that actually people start to recognize that mental health can be positive as well. It's not always a negative thing. Um, and I guess lastly, I would love us to be in a society where it's not considered brave to talk, come out and talk about struggling with your mental health. It's just something that people talk about, mm. like an everyday conversation that happens. And I think mm. the more that we can make it an everyday conversation, the easier it is for people to reach out for help and support when they need it. And also for people to relate to how people are feeling. Because I think mm. even if you don't struggle with your mental health, there are times where you will feel anxious about something, like you say, like starting a new job or, and those feelings can be related to somebody who has anxiety. So I think mm. it's really important that people talk one on a personal level because it helps and it's helpful for people around you to be there. And so for people around you to understand how you're feeling as well. But then on that bigger level, because it shouldn't be something that people are praised for doing or people think, oh, that's amazing that you've done that. Well done. Actually, it should be like any other conversation we have about a physical health ailment or anything like that. So, yeah, I think it's kind of twofold. Mm. If that makes sense. Um, no, it totally makes sense. And I think, like I said, it's, I mean, I'd love to be at a point one day where talking about mental health is, is an is normality as opposed to someone viewing it as a, as a strength because you know, that's yes it takes strength to begin talking um, and it takes strength to listen and be there for someone but you know when we get to that point in life maybe in a couple of years probably a long way down the line actually that we're at a point where we're it's just part of an everyday conversation because everyone's that confident and competent about talking about their mental health I think that's a, a point that all of us can look forward to but when it comes down to starting the conversation I often hear a lot of people saying oh but it's you know a lot of people don't start the conversation because they're too scared about what someone's going to say and I think people need to realize that that conversation start it can literally be as simple as how are you doing how are you feeling but then also ask asking twice or if someone says to you like a lot of the all the time when you ask someone how are you doing they'll just turn around and say yeah good thank you you and even if you reply yeah I'm good thank you you don't have to necessarily yeah but really how are you really feeling you don't necessarily have to be that pressurized you can literally just say to someone okay great but if you know if you do have a bad if you do ever want to talk I'm here at least that person then knows that you are there and that's kind of I took a lot from from my experiences but you know what about what would you say to somebody who's maybe looking to start the conversation but perhaps doesn't know where to start or perhaps overcomplicates it before they even ask the question I think you're right. I think it is just literally as simple as asking how you are, but actually not taking that first answer. So I have a lot of people in my life now who actually do that because every time someone asks me how I am, my immediate answer is I'm okay. And they're like, are you actually okay or are you not okay? Yeah. Um, and so actually there's not many people in my life that will ask me how I am only once now because actually <laughs> they've learned that my immediate response will always be I'm okay without missing a beat. I think it is about that but I think it's also about not putting pressure on it because actually sometimes 
someone might not be ready for that conversation and if there's pressure put on it it would put them off maybe come into that person for advice or to have that chat when they're ready so I think you're right it's about that if you ever aren't okay or if you ever need a chat about anything like just give me a shout or let me know and because yeah I think sometimes if you're like are you really are you really are you really and you keep going it can just make it can make someone feel worse as well like to talk about it um, so yeah, I think casual chat is the way forward. Just like you would have any other conversation, like you would not go into any other conversation and keep going and going and going and going on something if somebody wasn't responding well to that. So I think, yeah, just I think it just needs to be part of a wider and normal conversation that people are having. But also, as well as that, coming back to the point of the casual chat, I think it's important to realize they don't necessarily have to know someone they're checking on them either i think one of the some of the most amazing conversations i've had with people in you know in the recent probably in the recent few months actually as we've gone through this lockdown covid 19 period is i've had the most amazing conversations with people who i don't know and it's simply by for example if i've been on my my daily walk or my daily one bit of exercise and you see someone you just you stop and have a conversation with them and you know, I think that comes down to the aspect, like you talked about earlier, about positive mental health. Now, we're not talking about mental health. We're not talking about how we're feeling and all these things we have inside of us. We're just having a conversation. And, you know, I used to do, um, about a couple of weeks ago, I used to run down a field which was quite local to me. And every time I'd go for a run, I'd see the same elderly guy that'd be out for his daily walk as well. And he, he ran, I was running once and he walked past me and didn't say nothing. I, I felt, oh, you know, when you've seen an old person on their own walk and you think, oh, that's cute kind of thing. Yeah. And um, the next time, I saw, uh, went down the next day and he was doing exactly the same time. And he, obviously we just managed to clash at the same time that I was running and he was walking. And I said, right, no, I'm going to make a point now to stop running and go and have a chat with him. And just like, and we had chat, we chat for 20 minutes. And, and like, you could just see how having a conversation meant something to him. I, I don't know that guy's background story, but I knew he lived, I know he was uh, lived alone. So it was nice just to have that conversation and how positively that can affect someone's mental health. Definitely. It's, it, I agree. Like Sports Scotland and the Scottish Association for Mental Health work together to do like a We Are Here campaign for lockdown. Um, but part of that, they worked with the Young People Sport Panel and they came up with a Walk and Talk campaign. So for... I think it ran for like a, it's run for like a month so far, I think. And actually, I reached out to a lot of people who I maybe hadn't spoken to in a while, but like wanted to catch up with and ended up going out on a walk and just chatting to them. And more often than not, it'd be like an hour or just over, like having that conversation. And we would have a little bit of a chat about how we were and what we'd been up to and stuff, but mm. it was just like that connection. And I think probably the most important thing around that whole mental health conversation it's feeling connected to other people and feeling like you're not alone because when you're struggling with your mental health like that's the biggest thing that you feel and you feel like you're alone and there's nobody that would understand how you're feeling and things so I think that connection works really important to be done all the time and then I think that mental health conversation becomes a whole lot easier if you're already having good connections with people. I noticed a massive difference for me as well, like actually how I felt in terms of my own mental health and um, just felt a lot better after doing it. And I'd be outside for longer because I was distracted by like the conversation <laughs> and I wasn't like, oh, I just want to get home now, I've had enough. Um, and it was just, it was really good. So yeah, it definitely had a massive positive 
of impact for me and personally. No, that's, that's amazing. And thank you for sharing that. Um, but before we bring this uh, another awesome episode of the podcast to a close, um, I just want to spend some time just to, to acknowledge yourself and the work that you've been doing. Um, you know, the, the, I've been through the, the journey and the experiences that you've had to, to talk so bravely and passionately about you've, as you've done today, but also as you do across Scotland and, and across the rest of the UK is, is incredible. And, you know, as, a, as an ambassador for, for sport, for mental health, for sports leadership and sports leaders, um, you know, on behalf of myself, I know everyone else, this is on behalf of everyone, everyone else is not just myself, but a massive thank you for the amazing work you're doing because you really are changing lives. And I really do hope that, that every young person can look up and take something away from this podcast, but also from your story, because you know, there were so many great snippets of how we could all relate to your story in, in the same maybe in some different ways and in this podcast and you know i think you're doing incredible work and um, i'm just pleased that it's getting the recognition that it deserves with with the awards you've been winning so on behalf of myself and everyone else you'll be able to help and inspire i just want to say a massive thank you thank you more than welcome very 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 well deserved um but if people want to find out more about yourself your speaking or where can people find you on, on social media or online Pretty much everywhere. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. So yeah, pretty much have kind of profile everywhere. So just um, look me up and happy to have a chat about anything. Awesome. So what I'll do is I'll make sure all the, the links to your social media channels as you talked about there are, are linked down in the show notes. So if you want to go find out and, and, and check in with Kirsty and uh, find out what she's up to, then you can do via the links down below. Um, but before I bring this episode to an official close, I always finish um, every podcast episode with something called my final five, which are five rapid quick fire questions and hopefully to be answered in one sentence. Just to really summarize the learnings we've had. Um, I appreciate this is quite tough as it would be very tough for myself. Um, but, it, but it allows us to bring some of, the, some of the short answers that can really make a big difference. You like being on the asking side for that one a bit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I've, what I've learned is that I've took this from one, uh, other people who've interviewed me from other podcasts and I'd be sitting on the opposite end and I'd be like, oh God, here we go. I thought, right, <laughs> now, now it's payback time to get back on the opposite side of the mic. But, uh, but there we go. Question number one, Kirsty, a nice simple one. What are you grateful for? I am grateful to be introduced to sports leadership and all the amazing opportunities that I've been offered and continue to get now. And question number two, if you could go back and give your younger self a message that you know now, what would that one message be? You can achieve anything you want to achieve and things that you don't even know are possible yet. So just keep going. Awesome. Love that. Just keep going. Uh, and question, question number three, what's the greatest piece of advice you've ever received? Definitely to appreciate the small things. I'm very much like big picture thinking and want massive things all the time, but definitely to stop and appreciate the little things and achievements on the way. Mm. And come back to the, the mental health side for question before. And, and what is one thing that you do currently to look after your mental health and your well-being definitely through lockdown i've found doing some sort of physical activity has been really important so trying to make sure i do something active every day and trying to have a bit of a routine in my day too awesome and finally question number five my favorite question to ask uh, and that is christy what does believing in yourself mean to you I think for me, believing in yourself means having the confidence to go after what you want to achieve and believe in your abilities to do that and just following your heart no matter what. 
I hope you all enjoyed this episode of the Believe in Yourself podcast and that you're going to share this episode with everyone that needs to hear these messages. Don't forget to leave a like and a comment your biggest takeaway and lesson that you have learned. If you have enjoyed, then please do leave a review and subscribe. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Believe in Yourself podcast.